Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. My name is Lispy McGee. We, uh, me and Gary have a very special guest this week. Down the Pub OG uh, Chris Terrell is hanging out to talk all things Wanderers and beyond. So uh, welcome back to the show, Chris. Great to have you, buddy. Oh, fellas, this is this is awesome. Since you told me, Anthony, I, I'm not even going to lie to you. A little bit nervous, a little bit jittery, but, uh, all in a positive way, excited. You know, it took me back to some wonderful memories from the years past. And it's crazy to think that, you know, this show has been around since the league has been around. And here we are about to enter year six with a lot of the same questions that we had back then when we were doing the yeah. roundtable with Derek. So before we start, I want to just give you guys a lot of love, too, for what you guys have done. The podcast ecosystem has changed so much in the last five years. Anthony, I know it's been a roller coaster for yourself personally, but it's great to see you're still doing this. And this is like, I, I don't want to say it's a dream come true, but it basically is to to be back on the back down the pub. You're right. You're more than welcome, man. It's great to have you back. And uh, Gary, how it's been a while since we talked since uh, before Christmas. How have you been, man? I've been good. Yeah, I, I think I needed that little break after the season ended. I had about six weeks of not really wanting to engage with anything. And then over the past few weeks, the little, I've been YouTubing, I've been searching up random players <laughs> on YouTube and watching them, finding like players who've got season compilations and watching them <laughs> and remind, reminded in the process how aggressively bad player compilation video music is. Like yeah. it is the worst techno shit ever playing on those compilation videos. So uh, I've, been, the- I've been back in that world. Some of the some of the videos themselves are pretty sketchy as well. Like there's a lot of star sweeps. You know, yeah, yeah. Star wipes where we call them, <laughs> lot of, uh, that kind of stuff. I like I like it when they like they show the player doing something good, but then they cut the clip before that, that <laughs> play has ended. And you're like, Yeah, you were fucking up in the next 0.3 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Hoofed it in the rose head. <laughs> there. So uh, there's uh, obviously a lot's been happening. I feel like we're Playing catch up a little bit, like it's uh, been one of the more interesting off seasons with a lot of stuff that's happened, and one of the big stories, obviously, is what's happened off the pitch. We had media pro last year uh, trying to take Rogers to uh, well, took Rogers to court to try and get one soccer onto their network, which wasn't successful, and now we have a, it seems like a parting of the ways between. CSB slash the CPL and Media Pro, which is one soccer is their parent company. So, uh, one of the one of the reasons I I reached out to Chris, come on, because I know Chris has looked into this quite well, and he's obviously has a, a media background. So, Chris, was there any rumblings of this happening, and how did we get here? Rumblings is a, a an interesting word because it kind of feels like from day one when the the league was announced. 2019, February 2019, I believe, is when the deal was fully announced. 10-year deal. There were some eyebrows raised. Media Pro, what's Media Pro all about? You dig in a little bit and you see 
they're not really a platform as much as they create the content in terms of you know audio visual editing the cord draggers if you will the people that do all the heavy lifting and the hard work behind the scenes that don't normally get the credit that they deserve but you know you, you wondered why why would something like this want to start up with the canadian premier league like you know what kind of connections and conversations have been happening behind the scenes they made a 10-year commitment we didn't quite know the financial terms but we're starting to peel the onion a little bit with the uh, uh, the upcoming court situation and they're asked for 60 million after about five and a half six years of operations that you know averages 10 million dollars a year so 10 times 10 it's a hundred million dollar television deal right off the bat for the league so on one hand when when you say the term rumblings i think everybody was probably a little bit skeptical from day one and i think those people have been really vocal over the last 24 36 48 hours now that the details are starting to double down in parlay and and we're starting to see now the the nooks and crannies of things like the league promising 16 teams for example the league one ontario offer that never really came to fruition whatsoever amongst other things including the actual core sum of how many games were going to be produced because again media pro they're the core draggers they're the behind the scenes people so the more the merrier for them and I, i've seen some of the stuff they've been doing behind the scenes since the cpl season's over they've done a few tenders with the ncaa they've got basketball volleyball soccer contracts actually to towards the end of this past 2023 season so they're they're a business that is on on its wheels it's not as if they need the cpl but the cpl sort of needed them because it seems like they were the only partner that really really wanted to lean into it and give it their all so like to, to answer your question up front i don't think there were any rumblings only because it seemed like media pro the platform that is one soccer we're developing a more concrete programming line it seemed like the the personnel were more engaged into the content that they were providing it seemed like there were more features it seemed like there was more to to with jordan wilson for example like you're signing literally somebody in-house from the league to give his opinions and give his insight and his thoughts you're not going to get that in a whole lot of leagues in some cases like you you do see that in the top leagues, the upper leagues, but for the most part, you get analysts that go to school. You don't get somebody who actually has the ability he has. So it just seemed like the relationship as it was getting past the halfway point was strong. It wasn't as transparent or open as we thought. And I mean, that's been an issue with the league from day one, but in terms of rumblings, it, it didn't really seem like there was a whole lot to show that this was on the horizon, but you know we know that relationships don't last forever in this case though because it was getting past that halfway point and we've seen progress since the start that we'd get to that 10-year point but here we are so gary just, just a question for you like so lo looking at what they had that by now we were supposed to have 16 teams or like was that ever plausible for us to have 16 franchises in such a short space of time i mean no idea is the short answer but i mean covid happened i think I, th I think people are tiring of businesses using that as an excuse but for this league in particular i think it's a very valid excuse it literally stopped the league in its tracks for two years so all of these discussions that would have been going on behind the scenes about bringing new regions into the league would have stopped because suddenly the money isn't there or they need to redirect the money elsewhere I, I don't know, like, the question for me is kind of, 
those sorts of conversations, those sorts of things that both the league and media pro were coming out with at the start of, of 2018, 2019, was, was that something they genuinely believed might happen? And I think the disintegration of the relationship is probably due to the fact that like as, as much as both parties, Media Pro in, in particular, wanted to present this original deal as some altruistic act where they wanted to raise the profile of Canadian soccer. They're a business at the end of the day, and they both sides would have been expecting certain returns by now, regardless of COVID. And the number of teams obviously was an issue because it came out somewhere that Media Pro expected the league to have put on X amount of live games by now, right. but they're only 25% or whatever towards that target. So it would have been an expectation, but obviously neither side has delivered exactly what they promised. So, Chris, do you think that like subscriptions were high enough at one soccer? Like, because to me, this feels like a league that it's like because it's still kind of new, people want to go to the games. Like, you know what I mean? It's like it's not really a game. Like, you know, obviously you watch the Wanderers when they're away, but if you're not, if the Wanderers are in town, you're at, you're at the game watching it, right? So, like, have we ever had any indication of what their subscriptions? Because that's what that's where all their revenue, apart from adverse, came from, I guess, right? Yeah, and that's what what I was just in my little rant that you know Gary, Gary did a much better job wording it than I did. I was just ranting, trying to find the words that Gary said. But in, in, to be completely honest, and jokes aside, that's the transparency part I was talking about. Is is we've never really known who's subscribed to this aside from us literally talking to one another. Are, are you with One Soccer? No, I watch it on Fubo. Oh, do you watch it on Fubo? No, I, I illegally stream it. Like there's enough businesses and, and companies around the world now that actually show the CPL that you don't need to have a subscription to One Soccer to watch. And I think that that towards the end, if this is indeed the end, which, you know, as, as we continue the conversation, there might still be an olive branch, completely just me throwing an idea out. But, you know, when you see two sides, obviously, like Gary said, they one expected to return, another expected to return. You have to ask yourself, what could each side also do more of? It's a post-pandemic world. Yeah, we talked about this over time, Anthony. 12 to 14 teams by 2026 was always kind of the number that was thrown out there. The fact that the league told One Soccer, Media Pro, 16 teams, it's like, well, that's extremely ambitious. If Media Pro really, truly believed that this was a thing, they sign the contract, but you know, you can't use that against them in court. You sign the deal. It's, it's a weird thing where you're going to have to look at both sides and figure out where somebody was trying to be a bit cheeky with what they had on the table down the road. Okay. No, maybe, maybe 12 teams is going to be better, blah, blah, blah. That type of stuff. It's just that that in itself is with the lack of transparency. That's been an issue with the league as a, as a complete sphere. It's none of our business. Of course, this is between the league and its broadcaster, its operator, for all intents and purposes, we don't know those numbers. We would know those numbers if they were high enough for them to brag about it. It's kind of the yeah. way I've always seen it as, which is a really crappy way of looking at it. But as a fan, as a consumer, the three of us as season ticket holders and lovers of this team and want to see this league grow and want to see this league evolve into being a league where we don't have to have these conversations and worry about where the television revenue was coming from, how many people are subscribed, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's just a model where if you're on the outside looking in, you might think that it wasn't thought through fully enough. And I'm not saying that disrespectfully to the members of the CSB at all. And I'm not saying this is anything disrespectful to the folks at Media Pro at all. But I think it's just two heads came together at a time that it might not have worked out 
as well as both thought it would, almost as the generic way of putting it. Gary? I think as well, the the most important point in all of this is that the not even really reading between the lines, but the league clearly believes the only way to grow the league is by getting it on a national broadcaster. Yeah. So everything they're doing now is designed to get them on a national broadcaster. Media Pro obviously rode that horse as far as it could and just were banging their heads against a wall. I, I don't really know the details of why they couldn't negotiate some sort of deal with a broadcaster, but the league clearly thinks doing it independently, they will be able to. So I, I fully expect that something is either close to being in place or in place for that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taken that risk. And that's the thing I keep saying to people too. Sorry to cut you off, Gary. Like they wouldn't have dropped this nuke on their end if they didn't at least have a backup plan. And and I honestly think that there's some really smart minds owning these teams. You you look at the Valors and the Forges, for example. They come from a, a CFL background where the TSN deal has to get renewed every few years, but they find a way to make it happen every year. So like I've, I've been saying to people, this has been a good, there's a good, a bad, and an ugly to it. We see and have heard and know what the bad and the ugly is. And the ugly, ugly is the worst case scenario. And I'm not putting it out into the universe because I don't want that to happen. But the good is in the first five years, we've seen what markets have worked. And I'm not just going to toot our horn here in Halifax, but we've done incredible. There's now five extra years of experience for all these owners in this space, some of which have not been in this space before. And they'll be able to pick each other's minds and try to find the right path, the right way to carve it out, whether they're making contact with local broadcasters or distributors, whether, you know, in Halifax's case, and, and sorry, Derek, I'm not trying to like put any information out there because this is entirely me just analyzing and speculating. But in Eastlink, for example, could step in for a year. Ontario, they've got countless uh, second tier broadcasters that could step up. And, and I mean, this is what I was saying, too, about the Olive Branch, maybe Media Pro stays in touch with a few of these clubs to try to get this over the hump, whether it's for a year or two before there's a more permanent home. So it's, it's something more, like I said, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the bad and the ugly are obvious. It's what's being discussed. It's what's going to clearly be discussed in litigation. But I do also feel like this is a chance for everybody to take a deep breath, step back and come up with that plan B that Gary was just talking about. Surely it's there. Surely it's there. Yeah. So do you think this might have uh, implications for Air Stadium that if uh, the city is looking at this kind of being so messy you now with court cases and all that kind of stuff? Because, you know, I think part of them wanting to give the money for stadium is going to be based on everything being like like smooth and, you know, obviously with a new league, it's, everything's going to be volatile. So do you think that's going to be affect the, the decision on the, the stadium? I, I only. Th- I only think that feels precarious right now because we are in this weird in-between stage before we know what the next plan is. The second the next plan is announced, if, say, some of the games are going to be broadcast on a national broadcaster throughout the season, which, again, I feel like the league must have an idea will happen, that's a much stronger bargaining hand for the club than we're on one soccer 24-7 and only X amount of people subscribe to it. So... Yeah, I, I, I think as soon as the next plan is announced, as long as it looks good on paper, then it shouldn't affect things at all. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good thing because I was just kind of worried, like wondering to myself, like if the people who are using every little thing to kind of shut this idea down, they're going to jump on mm. this kind of stuff. So 
I can't imagine yep. friends of Halifax Common are going to go digging deep into media pro and one soccer's broadcasting deals. <laughs> but, but, but we have seen them stoop lower. Yeah, right. Right. so right. I see where Anthony's coming from. Like, I personally don't think the correlation is there, at least immediately. But if you're talking about a league that doesn't actually have a, a permanent premier TV deal two, three years down the line, and maybe that was a good chunk of hard revenue that could have been transferred into the actual construction of the stadium. And, you know, mm. there's there's obviously I's to dot and T's to cross when it comes to that stuff. And the money comes from different avenues. And maybe the TV deal money has nothing to do with the construction of the stadium. But to the people on the council end and the friends of the commons, for example, they'll use every reason they can against Derek, against the club and against the idea of making the stadium permanent. It could be something that may end up on the council floor as just a, a, a chatting point. But I, I don't think that it negatively correlates as much as we think it does. You know, the Mooseheads are still only on a regional television broadcast for the very most part. And, you know, they didn't need the permanent stadium built, but they're the prime, premier tenant. And right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I use them as an example yep. where they're a junior hockey team and they only have the one or two games a year on Sportsnet. They still find a way to make it work. So I think that you know, Derek being of the of the background he is when it comes to I, I believe he he worked the is it the Vanier Cup? Yeah. Yeah. So like that, for example, like they have to negotiate a television deal every cycle with that as well. And they've gone years without that being on a major broadcaster. I believe one year it was on YouTube. I could be wrong and he'll probably tell me if I am. But you know, I think that he along with the other owners must have a plan and an idea and, and in Derek's case specifically. With the stadium lot looming, I I think that he would be the type of guy that would really make sure that there's a plan B and plan C. And I, I take his tweets as they are. He's never been the type of person to stick his chest out without actually having some substance behind his opinion. And he's the type of guy that will put his name on something that he believes in wholeheartedly. And I think that those subtle tweets, those little those those gifs, those gifts that he put <laughs> out, like they actually spoke volumes to me. So I'm a little less concerned personally, Anthony. Okay. So just before we move on to the season ahead, and obviously we had a player announcement like uh, last week. So media, just just for people, so Media Pro, they kind of have a little bit of a history of this, don't they? Like, didn't something happen with they had rights to league league one in in, in France, and something happened there, and. I think it was something else that they were involved in that just kind of happened. So they, they seem to have like a little bit of a history with this too. And it's funny you bring that up because that was the example I was using my, with my last spiel about how Media Pro might end up being the hard distributor for actual clubs because I believe they still did Lille's games. I could be wrong, but they still did a club's games for the rest of that year to kind of like honor and finish off that last season's worth of their deal they do have that history. They've also have a history of picking up deals. If I'm not mistaken, they bought Fox Sports's rights to the Argentinian League and pretty much saved a, a hell of a lot of clubs in terms of bringing in that revenue, bringing in that income that needs it. So it's it's a weird kind of situation where they've been on the wrong end of just not paying their bills and blaming the leagues and blaming the powers that be for the problems. But on the other end, they've also been there to pick up the pieces. You know, they're not a broke company by any means. Their revenue streams are in the billions. It's not as if they're pinching pennies per se. So I think that with that, 
Maybe again, this is the third time I've said this. There's an olive branch. Maybe there's a backup plan to avoid litigation. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what the full long-term plan is, but with that history, I, I think this could be a dagger in media pro in this space, but it sounds like that they're, they've got a good concrete business model and business floor with NCAA, for example. I mean, you're talking millions, countless millions and millions of dollars probably pouring in through that alone. So yeah. Last week we had the great news that JZL is coming back to uh, the Wanderers. It was fantastic news. Like he's just such a nice guy, but Gary, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on the reason you think that we went back for him. Cause obviously like sometimes you don't want to go back to where you, what you were before and where do you see him kind of fitting in alongside the midfield that we have? I, I think in terms of reasoning, we'll get into kind of profile of player and that side of things in a moment. But I think experience is a much needed attribute to our recruitment this off season because I think people forget sometimes that we had one of the youngest teams in the league last year. We regularly have the youngest 11 in the league. So I think prioritizing experience is on the club's agenda in this off season. And he ticks that box. In terms of why him specifically, I think anyone who has worked with him in any way speaks incredibly highly of him. I, I remember talking to people around the club when he left and they all were still very, very big on him. Life circumstances meant he he left, but there was certainly no animosity. He was an incredible professional. And I think it's a really good fit. I think he's the type of player who who will really mesh nicely with how Patrice likes to work. And just like an, like an example to illustrate that, I remember towards the end of his first season at Wanderers, I heard a story about how I don't think I don't think the old coaching staff were huge on doing a lot of video, a lot of video work in the in the lead up to games to review games. Nothing wrong with that. Different people work in different ways. But I heard that JGL had kind of spoken up during a meeting and said because they had done some video work in the lead up to a game, which was slightly unusual, some more video work, I should say. And JGL kind of spoke up at the end of it in front of the group and representing the group to say, we really enjoyed that. We found that really worthwhile. Can we do more of this? And he was very big on encouraging the staff to do more video work with them. And if you think about a coach like Patrice and a video guy like Jed, who is incredible, like not just within the league, Jed is incredibly highly thought of throughout the game on his video work. Like if you look at he's worked in Estonia, he's worked in Iran, he's freelanced out, like his video work is at the top of the industry. So for Jed, sorry, for JGL to come in and work with someone like that will be hugely beneficial to him. The second big reason I think it's a good thing is just positionally what he what he is, which is a player that is a centre midfielder, but who also can play as a left back. And what do we all know about the way Patrice likes to play? It's about fluidity. It's about multi-positional players who can be a left back who comes into centre midfield, can be more of a traditional centre midfielder or can be more of a traditional left back. And Jeremy can do all of those things to a high level. And he's just he's just a quality player. I, I I was kind of I went back and listened to one of our old episodes and towards the end of his last season because I was like, I thought we thought highly of him, and I was trying to remember exactly how we felt about him. And you and I were talking about him like our player of the season towards the end of that first season. Yeah. So he he he's really he's a very good player, and he offers us a lot of different options, and he's a top top professional as well. So, so Chris, obviously. You know, you kind of get to see the other side of players where Missy has players over for dinner and all that kind of stuff. So 
what 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 does he bring to the to the team? Like you know, to the players around him, like respect him and think he's awesome. And like, what what's how did you find him when you were like kind of interacting with him? I think Gary kind of hit it on the nose at the very beginning. There, there's there's veteran leadership, and then there's being a gel almost, being able to fuse different player groups together, being able to speak up in those not necessarily awkward situations, but situations where twenty of your twenty three guys might be quiet. He's that type of person, you know. He's always presented himself hilariously, sort of as a been there, done that kind of guy, but doesn't get bored. And we even saw when York traveled here the first time he was injured, he wasn't even in the 18, but he traveled with the team to do his workout after the game. And and that two years of, of tremendous examples of his professionalism and skill and the type of player he was in Halifax, but it took him being gone and seeing that example of him with another club for me to truly appreciate the type of player and professional he is. But pers- person personality-wise, the person he is, he he like so many other players became entrenched in our community but he was the type of person that wanted to get to know everybody from top to bottom i've been blessed to get to know people in in the back room in the staff and you know my my, my pardon me my relationship with marvin is no secret and of all the players over the years and we're talking 5 years over 100 players that have played for the wanderers jgl is one of the guys that has probably gotten the most love praise and and positive attention that i can honestly remember list think of the one story about him rallying the guys up for pride and a great turnout to this day i think that was the best turnout for any sports team in the city period to come out for that pride and that was because jeremy spoke up and was like you know this is where we live who we are as a community halifax has embraced this as as something that they want to be a part of their community how can i help how can i be a part of that he was at all the schools he was at all the luncheons he was at all the functions he was what you would call a club captain, a club leader, that type of person. He did, wasn't necessarily the leader on the field with the armband, but you knew that he was the vocal leader and that gel. And that's kind of, you know, J-G-L, G-E-L, the, the three-letter <laughs> acronyms. But a great, efficient lad is literally what the gel <laughs> meant. That's literally what it represented. And and that's Jeremy to, to a T. And you know, from a personal perspective, he knew that I was always such a big fan of him. I mean, I'm I'm a grown man. I'm a big kid. I'm older than him. He knew this. And he still ran into the locker room and came out and gave me his kit, signed it for me, and just gave it to me. And, and it was just that one little piece of appreciation to know that he knows that we appreciate him. And I think that as a fan base, we do generally appreciate our players openly. Whenever a player scores a goal, you see the comments. Whenever... You know, somebody has a tough performance. You see the support. There's a lot of negative too, and I think that he knows that that comes with the job, and he just lets it roll off his shoulders. And having those type of people in the locker room as well, I think, is very important. So, another another long winded answer, Anthony, but it's it's the gel. He brings a gel to the locker room and a gel to the club. I, I always found that even after a very bad performance at home, obviously there was a lot of him in that season before he left. He was still over to the fans and make sure that you appreciate them being there and stuff like that. And to me, that's the mark of a good person that, you know, you're you're able to get in amongst the fans during the good times, but when the bad times are there, you're still able to show your face and say sorry or, you know, better look next time kind of thing. So I, I think he is a, a top, top bloke and he's really, I'm really happy to have him back. But in, so obviously we lost Mo Omar, Gary, in the, the off season. So was this like a like for like replacement almost, or how do you feel? Like how would you see him sitting in behind beside like Rampy and uh, Lorenzo? 
I don't know if he's like for like. I mean, he he's a left foot like Mo is, but I think I think he likes to play in more advanced areas, which which is kind of surprising because he hasn't scored a CPL goal. But he's kind of that. <laughs> he's kind of that pre-assist guy, isn't he? Like he he probably won't play the final pass. He won't have the final shot, but he'll be an important part of the build up. His progressive passing numbers are really good. If anyone hasn't read it yet, Josh from Wanderer's Notebook did a really good article today where he's using data that this Ottawa fan's doing to kind of highlight different players' strengths. And Jeremy comes out of that looking very good in terms of progressive passes, dribbles as well, which you don't think of him as a dribbler, but he he scores quite nicely on that. And I think when when I think about our midfield group now, I'm not really thinking in terms of Jeremy will be playing alongside Lorenzo or alongside Rampy. I think we've got to view them as a group who game to game interchange. Like we can't obsess over starting 11s because that doesn't really exist in this league. So we just see them as a group of players who you can plug and play any of them. They'll all be working on the system throughout the off season, getting to know how Patrice wants to play, how he might change how he wants to play, which I'm sure we'll get to later. And all of those midfielders, how they fit within that group. And that's what I'm excited to see, like how those relationships start to be built. Obviously, last year he 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 seemed to have a few injury worries. Are you worried about that for, from uh, Chris? I feel like he played a more strenuous style with York, which definitely, like you said, it caused those injury issues. I was just you know mentioning the story about him traveling with the club to Halifax. He's the type of guy that, to me, it seems like he tries to stay in top fitness, top shape as much as he can. I'm not saying he's old, but we know how quickly you can age out in this sport. And he's at that age now where all it takes is one season of him not getting that good form and that good fitness for him to basically say goodbye to, to his career. So I think that my concern for him might not be as 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 there as it was last year just because i feel like in patrice's system where it's so fluid everybody just kind of moves and motions where the ball goes there's not a whole lot of him having to make those 40 50 yard runs he was basically playing as a number nine at times last year with york when babuli was out and and they were having some issues scoring goals so i'm not as concerned in what i would presume to be patrice's system with him having to strain himself out and 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 get injured, like you said, if, if fitness ends up becoming an issue. But I do believe that what we have right now is a midfield core. That depth is there already. It could still use a piece or two. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit. But I, I feel like he is that complementing piece for both Rampy and Lorenzo in different aspects. And I think that they're going to be able to rest each other when Rampy's gone, potentially to for uh, the, the Copa America, for example. Those guys will be able to play when Rampy's back. They'll be able to interchange, take a break, almost treat it like a DH in baseball. One guy's on the bench and he'll come on with 15, 20 minutes left, hopefully to shore up a lead. So I'm not concerned on the surface, but obviously, like you said, it's there. He did have his struggles last year, but I just feel like it came down to the play style more so than who he is as a player. We obviously, as I mentioned, like my warmware is gone and then we lost Callum Watson, who's gone to the MLS next pro. So Gary, were you surprised that we lost? Because like, I thought like... Callum bought as he was a really good utility player. He could play like he like he was a multi-positional player for us, and obviously he gave a bit of he had a bit of pep about him. He was always willing to 
like run as good too. So were you surprised that we, we that he left? Not entirely. I mean, I always I always liked the player. I always I I thought he was slightly undervalued because the stuff he did was the stuff that isn't immediately eye catching. We talked about it a lot last season, didn't we? And how he was a really good off the ball player because he brought that energy, the pressing. So you could like you could set up against teams who wanted to pass out for them back with him, for example, because he would just run for his life for the 70, 80 minutes he was on for. So I think, I think I I don't think anyone had him on the bingo card for who would be our first ever sale. Definitely not. Even going into the off season, I didn't really see it coming. So I am surprised. But he's obviously got really good connections in the states. He he yeah. had a really successful college career there. He's obviously built relationships up because of that. He played in a very good NCAA team, which means a lot to clubs, especially in USL and MS, MLS Next Pro. So. Yeah, good luck to him. I think I think he'll have a, he'll have a nice career at this sort of level. I think like he'll have a really good career, and he's only going to get better as well. So yeah, best of luck to him. He'll be missed as a character though, because I think, and I'll miss seeing his dad like around game yep. days as well. Uh, like I had, <laughs> I had some I had a nice I had a nice day after the big hurricane in September. I went to the pint to watch Arsenal because all my power was gone and I walked in and his dad was sat at the bar and we had a nice few hours chatting about football and watching Arsenal. So yeah, I'll miss his old man, definitely. Him and Callum came out, we have like a Sunday kickabout after the season finished. His dad and Callum came out and had a kickabout with us. And nice. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, they're like really nice people. And I, I think obviously like there's football reasons or whatever, like, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that like people are good people, right? And uh, they'll definitely mm-hmm. be missed. So with some luck in uh, Chattanooga. So we have a couple of gaps, in, like, and we had like quite a few people the part as well like uh, where their options are being picked up and stuff like that. so what well, at this moment in time where do you think is like the biggest gaps in the squad that we need to kind of to fill oh sorry chris go you, on, no you you go first gary you're the tactical genius of the three of them. <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't think this really is a tactical answer i mean just in terms of numbers if you look at who we've yeah. got attack is where we're 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 missing numbers i think we need a couple of centre backs because we've got Dan and Kale who who are centre backs, but we need at least two or three for depth. In terms of full backs, we've got Zach Riley and I guess Wesley now. We think of him as a fullback. Yep. You want another one or two bodies in there so you can rotate those those players around. Midfield, I think we've got enough. I would like a more creative 10, I think, would be my big wish list for the, the midfield because We've got a lot of really tidy technical players in there, but I don't see anyone who's going to give you that last ball. Even Geraldo, who I guess is ostensibly the most attacking of those midfielders, I think he's more of a box crasher. He's more of a chaos agent, isn't he, than someone that's going to play that last ball. So I would like a creative player who's going to play, get some assists for us. We need a, we need a couple of forwards. Some, I would say someone with experience who has scored goals at a comparable level, ideally. Because I love Coimbra, but he is only 18 years old or 19 years old. Sorry. So we definitely need someone there and pacey winger. Like we need, we need wingers as well. Ideally someone with a left foot because we, we, we have all righties in our attacking players. Like all of our attacking players are right. Crazy, right? Yeah. And I think you do need, it's such a weird detail, but you do need people with different feet in your like in your lineup just because it allows you to invert both sides for example or it allows you to play as more traditional wingers on both sides it opens up different angles on the pitch so yeah those would be kind of the the ones i'd be looking for chris how about you honestly like off the top of my head you pretty like 
I'm not even trying to cop out of and but you pretty much listed everything like you know it, for the first time we actually have goalkeeper kind of shored up like mm. Jan's the starter and it looks like we're going to have a bit of a goalie competition between Clark and Rushna so you know some defensive insurance like you were talking about a center back or two for sure a fullback or two and it's why like you know I, I in Matt we trust I've always showed Matt a lot of love even during the tough years you know I've always been a fan of his recruitment and his style and and just the way he's tries to not necessarily cut corners but to find the little niche deals if you will to save a penny here or there in a cap league but still bring the quality to the team and you know guys like Armin Wilson and Jake Ruby to me they still had value if that makes any sense in terms of so I'm really curious to see how Matt replaces those kind of hard workers that showed themselves last year as players that I personally would have kept in the squad this year and to me, like that defensive insurance, both in the midfield and in the back, I think is kind of a necessary addition. And I agree, like uh, with a forward, a proper number nine and somebody that can play either flank. Honestly, uh, there's a there's a few names that that I've been throwing out there. My favorite, somebody that I would literally throw the house out uh, is Kakuta Mane from Pacific. When I watch him play and and off the ball, on the ball, knowing the experience he has as well, the levels that he's played at. And knowing and hearing that he actually has a Nova Scotian connection as well, I, I just keep throwing it at the dartboard, hoping I get that trouble 20 <laughs> and it's him because I think that, you know, you, you talk about game-changing signings and Jeremy is one of them, don't get me wrong. And some of the names we've seen, both semi-confirmed and rumored, you know, these are all players that will bring some quality to the club. But to me, there's still a few names, you know, whether these players are signed or not. From what I've heard, everybody's signed. It's just a matter of announcing them. But where do those depth, those squad depth pieces come into play? Like, are we signing an 18-year-old local kid potentially to play in multiple positions? Are we going to go for a veteran like a Ryan James, for example, who can shore up, you know, multiple positions? Where's Wesley going to play? And what does that do? And how does that dictate left back uh, for, for the future? How does the midfield going to be shaped? Uh, are we going to play triangle one way or the other? There's There's lots of different little things that could also dictate who we bring in as well. But to me, Gary pretty much, you know, knocked it out of the park end by end, bit by bit. I think it's interesting you kept mentioning depth there as well, because something I've been thinking about with the players we've let go and the players we see coming in, and I think we've all heard similar names of players that likely are coming in as well. And I think in sports, we always talk about raising the ceiling of a team. And I don't know if we're necessarily going to do that, but I think what we're doing instead is raising the floor of the team. So it doesn't really matter who's playing because they are all starting 11 caliber. And that will be the challenge next season is managing a dressing room where 18, 19 of the players feel like they should be starting week in, week out. But it just, but having a squad that strong, it kind of allows us to win the game twice, if that makes sense. Like whoever the first 11 are, you get a lead, you win the game, and then you bring on players to an equal quality who can win the game again for you. And that's going to be yeah important before we get to uh listener questions there's quite a few because obviously we've been away for a little bit what what are your thoughts on the wanderers opening a coffee shop no, i'm joking uh, <laughs> so i went i went there for a coffee the other day it's, it's a nice little it? spot oh yeah, no, good, nice. good, good good coffee as well a nice little spot as well it's cozy down there it's in like have you been there no, I haven't been there. It's like, you know, when you walk down the stairs of the club shop, it's to the right where they used to have like the sale items and stuff. Oh, okay, uh, cool. They got some really cool old photos up in there and stuff. Who's, is Matt Fiega making the coffee? Is he the barista or <laughs> yeah. he's busy in the off season? 
It's got a little stylish moustache going. <laughs> <laughs> a little beanie. What, one little uh, latte or put like a little heart in your coffee and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I will say real quick, it caught me off guard, but the more I think about it, the more it works. Half of our fixtures are foggy, rainy, dreary days where the one thing you want in your hand is a nice coffee. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it 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 caught me off guard. I thought it was random. I laughed at first. I was like, what a weird idea. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, you know what? It's an extension of the brand that does kind of make a little bit of sense. So I'm willing to give it a season or two to see if it sticks around. And if it does, be it. I think that's I think it's fantastic. It's more revenue, it's more marketing for the club. And it seems like it's a passion project as well, which I'm all for people taking chances on. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually closed on game day, so no, see, I'm joking. That, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> that was the thing I was saying. I was like, I don't even want to say free coffee, but like maybe a donation, like on match days. And I'm sure, like they they obviously have costs to cover and an overhead and stuff. Like they they're not just going to want to give away their product for free. But what a tremendous way to grab just random people walking by. Are you going to the Wanderers game? No. Oh, blah 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 blah. Here, here's a coffee for free. Yeah. You know, there's there's ways that you can use that space to like extend and and then enhance the branding of the team. And I'm actually kind of a uh, kind of excited to see where it goes because at first I was a little like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah, but I totally hear you. Is a cup of bovril a thing in Ireland as well? Like halftime yeah. cup of bovril? Uh, yeah, well, I, I used to like drink bovril when I came home from school, so that was cold outside. So yeah, is it a, like is it like a football thing? Like because in uh, England, like. No, it was in the more old a, school grounds, you get a cup of bovril at halftime, nice hot thing on a cold. It's, uh, it's more like a cup of tea that they do in Ireland. So just before we get into the listener questions, Gary, I know that you wanted to uh, talk a little bit about Ottawa. So <laughs> it's your favorite topic. <laughs> but like, uh, honestly, though, they they have had like a, a pretty a pretty good off season, like uh, science boys and stuff like that. They brought back quite a, quite a good few like local people, which I think adds to it. Like I know Vancouver have kind of pushed into that too to try and bring home like Vancouverites to the, uh, they brought in Ben Fisk and David Norman Jr. But what did you think of them bringing in, is it a tablet that they brought in? Mm. If they reached 150 likes on a tweet. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think they've made some really good signings actually. They're, They're looking, they're looking very, very strong. I just, I just found the whole, that likes thing quite interesting. And I find it interesting because there's a weird dynamic at that club. And if you follow, if you follow kind of the interactions on social media, their supporters group and a lot of their kind of, more vocal supporters were very angry at the end of last season and it was and some of the tweets almost sounded like threats towards like we don't deserve this it almost like we won't be coming back if we're this shit again and i just find it's a weird dynamic when like the fernando lopez right that's his name yeah like by all accounts is a lovely guy but i feel like with with like by bending to support a pressure over who to sign and almost giving them so much power as a supporters group it's it's long term it's dangerous you kind of get them back on side really really quickly but at the end of the day you don't want supporters dictating who you sign as a club you need that to be your scouting department who dictate that because they know football so yeah i just i just find that dynamic interesting and i'll be interested to see what happens if then if they go for another rough patch because it's they're 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 kind of they're in bed together at the moment all of them and it's a it's it's going to be interesting yeah do you you remember uh wayne mooney's 
he did like a scouting thing with like Wayne Rooney's like soccer skills. So his team was like a, an elimination yeah. show. Yeah, they, they were like kicking the ball across rivers to yeah. hit balls and stuff, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> so, I remember that. So, so the fans were starting to out in like in the summer to see if they can like bring in some players. So <laughs> <laughs> we should we should like we should like invent a player that we feed like you know like George Weah's cousin for, <laughs> yeah. for Southampton. We should invent a player. And then, like, just whisper to the uh, like, this guy's amazing. Like, I used to watch him every week in the conference in England. Like, get sign him, sign him, sign him. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Irish legend Paddy O Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> Paddy Jesus. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> we do have quite a few uh, listener questions. So uh, there's a couple in here for you too, Chris, which is uh, kind of awesome too. So just let me bring them up here, and we will get where are we going? Real quick too, while you're while you're Anthony, like. I like what Gary is saying hundred percent in terms of like the pushiness of the Ottawa fans, quote unquote, actually, I shouldn't say quote unquote, cause I don't, Gary didn't actually say that I'm saying that, <laughs> but I, I do like the engagement. Think about how big a club Atletico is and that we're kind of just like a side project feeder type thing. We kind of have the same connection that or they have the same connection and vibe and fuse fusion with their supporters that the big club does it's almost like the, it's not a copy paste obviously but when you go to like the atletico english page for example they're very engaging with their fans they make their fans feel like they're heard they make their fans feel like they're actually a part of something Bayern munich's social media does a really good job with that too i mean they're more of a club uh, fan owned club but i feel like atletico do a really good job leaning into it, even if it's a little too much. But that kind of interaction, that kind of branding, that kind of marketing, I think is huge for a small league like this. And, you know, the Wanderers have done an amazing job from jump. Pacific's done a great job. Cavalry, a couple of clubs leave a little bit to be desired. And they can learn from an Ottawa and how they engage with their fans, how they market these signings, how they do this type of stuff. Their, their off season has impressed me the most of everybody so far, for sure. Mm. Yeah, and I've, 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 I won't say it on here, but I think this will be leaked in the next few days. But I know of another player they've signed who is a very, very good player who I know we all like a lot. So, yeah, they're doing well, and and I do completely agree. Like, as much as like there's banter between the clubs, like they are a club I do want to succeed desperately because the the league needs as many kind of very visible supporters groups as possible, and they're kind of the closest to us in terms of how much attention they bring to the club and like within their own city as well. And if, if they're a club that is winning things and that supports groups only going to grow and the league's only going to grow. So you do want them to do well. And, and they've been fantastic in terms of engagement. First question was from Nigel, but uh, we've pretty much answered this question was about the CFB media pro thing and the trying to get to the 16 team. So we've, we've answered this. So th- thanks for the question on Nigel. This one's from Carrie Ryan. Who do you think will light it up this year? Well, we might not know who yet. <laughs> That's the, yeah. the 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 beauty and pain of this time of year. It's like it's so close yet so far to the season. We're still not quite sure who's leading the line yet. I I do hope and pray that it's Coimbra. There was a lot of hype with him coming into the club. He showed it in spades during the preseason. Every time I was I was bugging Marvin for preseason results because the club weren't leaking anything, and every time I got a message back, Coimbra scored twice. Coimbra scored. Coimbra scored, and then it just kind of seemed like as the grind of the season came along, whether it was fitness or confidence or what, he just kind of became a non-factor. But every time he was on the field for his age, the, there was a quality there. There was a, a deceptive pace. 
he was a brick shit house for lack of better yeah. terms, right? Yeah. Like he kind of scares the shit out of you when you see this this tall, semi-lanky guy, but his feet are landing on the ground as hard as I've ever heard a human being. But it's <laughs> it, it comes with pace, comes with agility, it comes with quality. So I would love to see him in double digits this year. If if I could put one thing on the bingo card as like a middle spot that everybody picks, like you know, you, this is the guarantee, aside from a trophy, obviously. Would be to see uh, Tiago get that ten plus goals this year and 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 kick his career on. I, I would like to see Lorenzo actually like do something this year. I thought last year he was fucking terrible, so you know so it's, it's, it's time for that man to step up. I think right and like, like I just wanted to see him complete a couple of passes. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> so this one's from Halifax Steve. We always really appreciate uh, Steve's uh, questions. Blah 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 blah. Uh, how, Gary, this one's for you. How do you think the team's playing style will evolve or improve this season? I've got a long-winded answer for this, so go and put the kettle on, boys. Okay. Basically, I've 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 reached that point in the off season where I'm starting to develop madcap theories, and I'm going <laughs> to point I'm going to point you in the direction of three pieces of evidence that I've seen that I've completely extrapolated from and run with into different directions. So Exhibit A is during the Copa Libertadores final, Patrice was gushing over Fluminense and how they were playing and saying he'd never seen anything like it before. Exhibit B is a podcast, sorry, is Jed Davies last month tweeting out if anyone had any good articles about by Leverkusen's defensive structure and exhibit C is the podcast Geordie did the other day where he talked about how he's been given a lot more responsibilities on set pieces so from those three strands I've developed a theory so the first thing to say and this is going to be really boring unless you're a football nerd is Fluminese and and Denise their manager so the way tactically Pep Guardiola and all of the kind of like the modern greats coach is using positional play, which we've talked about before, where the pitch is broken down into zones, players have roles within those zones and don't really leave those areas of the pitch. Lots and lots of clubs are playing like this now. There was a big furore during the last World Cup, people moaning, saying every team basically plays the same way now, that every team builds up in a 3-2-5, every team has a box midfield, it's boring. A massive reaction to that has been Fluminese in the Brazilian league and their coach, Denise. And what he's done is something that's been coined relational play. So relational play is more about players having relationships on the pitch. It's doing massive overloads in part of the pitch where like eight of the players go over to one side and they play lots of one twos, lots of triangles, get the ball up the pitch that way. Kind of like Brazil in the 1970s. So to kind of give it kind of a strained metaphor positional play would be like a classical music orchestra with a conductor telling them what to do and relational play would be more like freeform jazz at 3am in a nightclub in new orleans where everyone's just kind of off their tits <laughs> on acid doing what they want so when you when you look at patrice watching that team Fluminese play and being impressed by it and we know he's a manager who likes to borrow from his influences you think okay what's he going to do with that Exhibit B, Jed watching by Leverkusen and trying to research them. That makes me think he's probably been asked by Patrice to like go, what are they doing? Why are they so good in Germany? And what they are doing is they are a positional team because they have Xabi Alonso, who's Spanish and positionism was born in Spain, but they also have relationist principles where players kind of have a bit more freedom to do what they want. So tactically, I think if we watch by Leverkusen, we're probably going to be moving towards that sort of thing. Based on my madcap theory, 
Exhibit C was Geordie and set pieces. Set pieces are the last marginal gain in football where there are massive returns to be got from it. Like if you can score five to 10 set piece goals a season by having set piece routines that you work on to the point of like an NFL play, then you 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 score a lot more goals so yeah that's i that's my theory probably all a load of bollocks but that's what i've been thinking (laughs) about on my long evening walks like quickly add like when i saw that question the first thing that came to my mind was less fluidity more rigid does that add up to what you're saying gary in any kind of way shape or form because i see what you're saying with like the relational type positioning like you have a role within a certain space does that stunt the fluidity that we're used to with Patrice's system or does it enhance it? We've, we've, well, we've been like a positional team where you have your zones, the, the pitch is kind of carved up into shapes and players within those zones have, have responsibilities. How he's kind of like twisted that into his own thing is the fluidity where the players jump into each other's zones and swap uh, over. Okay. So kind of that's why we do look so fluid. Whereas if it was a re- if we were a relational team, those zones would kind of go out the window and the yeah. players would be given permission, like kind of just go where you want, like follow wherever the ball is, be close to your teammates, play lots of one twos. The danger of that is though, if you get caught on the counter-attack, you are absolutely fucked because everyone is in one area of the pitch and you've got maybe one defender hanging back. Whereas in positional play, if you if you lose the ball and the other team tries to counter, it's okay because you know exactly where your three center backs are, you know where your six is going to be so you can kind of block out the central spaces that way i i I, like i say all this but patrice is also a massive guardiola disciple who is very very aggressively positional play and zones and roles so it would take a lot to move him away from that but just i'm just massively reading into a tweet that he sent (laughs) during a game i'm I'm looking forward to uh, getting a message for us to Clip that bit out of the podcast in case anybody's <laughs> listening from the opposition. So, <laughs> so this was from our good friend Kevin. He runs the Hammer of Sparks account on, and he's got his podcast, which is awesome. But he had a fuzzy poku, I think, on today. This one's for you, Chris, because I know you, you're a rules guy. So, how do you feel about the CPL's announcement of the repeal of the weird international rule that should never have been? If the people at home could see me, I just put my hands to goodness. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I have very openly never been a fan of. I, I, I'm I'm a fan of the international limit rule, obviously, because we do want to see a platform of our domestic players. We are, without necessarily calling it a development league, a development league, and for that purpose and that point, we want to have as many spaces as we do for our domestic players. That being said, limiting and almost funneling the ages of the international players that you want to bring into your country to help develop your domestic players, whether it's with different cultural influences, different tactics, different styles, different philosophies. Why would you bring in younger players that need that development as well? Why would you limit the these teams being able to bring in more players in the 25 to 30 age range that have that experience, that have that knowledge of the game to me it almost made absolutely no sense for it to be a rule in the first place in fact i thought there should have been more of a and i've said this before too openly more of a per game focus on youth period whether it's certain amount of minutes per game or one or two positions per game where you need to have an under 21 or under 23 however you really want to flex the age wise but in terms of this international rule, to me, it just it never made a lick of sense because not a lot of clubs are going to be sending their young, talented players to our country 
to develop, to stay in our country or bring more to our country. They're trying to get that player back as a better player than they were when they left on loan. And they're not really leaving anything to our sport where these players that are older, they, they come to our country. Then, you know, I, I'm going to use Ali Minatel as an example. Obviously he's not that type of old guy, quote unquote, but he came to Canada, fell in love with the country club to club had a suffered a major injury. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he's still coaching here. Yep. He's, out, he's in uh, Calvary. Yeah. And, and, you know, Daryl Fordyce, your buddy, like yep. another example, I'm sure there's more too. I'm just completely, I mean, look at cavalry staff, for example, like uh, they're half of their staff or guys that came here and played here, grew up here, became a part of our culture, part of our philosophy, but also helped develop it to an extent as well. So to me, that age limit for the international player spot, international player roles, it, it never made a lick of sense to me. And it only pigeonholed the potential for roster growth and the potential for development for our young Canadian players. Great answer. He also asked, when's the date for the first ever Hamlet Sparks down the pub mashup? It's, it all depends on how much you're willing to pay to come on the show. <laughs> this one's from Denton. This is for you, Gary. Which player is the best at video games, current roster and all time? Oh, mate, I've, I've, I haven't played a video game in about 25 years, so I have no idea. Who, who would you two say? Has anyone got a clever answer for that? Because I, I don't. I do know Ibra Sano. Yes. Oh, yeah, he did the he FIFA was a thing, didn't very he? Very good FIFA player. Mm. He streamed and everything. He was. Yeah, he, was he, still, he still does it. He, he, he yeah. runs tournaments. Awesome. Yeah. I remember him being really good at FIFA. Akeem Garcia was really good at like first person shooter games. Like he was a big Call of Duty guy. I remember hearing that he was a bit of a sniper, if you will. <laughs> and actually Jordan, Jordan told me a story about how I think it was Massimo Farron. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but he's a big football manager guy. Hmm. Like when they're waiting in the airport, when they're in the hotel, when they're on the bus, whatever they're doing, Massimo is playing football manager. And over the years, there's not a lot of guys that played. I, I mean, it's probably the question I ask each and every player once we get them over to the house for dinner or, or chat with them at training or whatever. I got to bring up football manager. And it didn't seem like a lot of guys were attached to it or anything. But from what I've heard, Jordy says that Massimo is a big football manager guy. So I'll have to ask him about that next season. That doesn't surprise me at all after hearing your interview with him, man. When I, get, I think I mentioned it on the podcast after you interviewed him, but it was such an unusual experience to hear a footballer talk like that because, like, with the greatest respect in the world, footballers are young athletes and they're so focused on being on being athletes and being footballers. But listening to him talk, like, he sounded so in, like so intelligent and thoughtful, and yeah. so the fact that he plays what is essentially a football strategy game does not surprise me in the slightest. That was like one of my favorite, like. Not to say it was one of my favorite interviews because, like, you know, you just, you just gave him a question and he ran with it. And he's mm. very, very intelligent and uh, really came across really well. So I, I, f I feel like, out of all, Chris is different here because Chris knows a lot of the players and has good relationships with them. But, like, I feel like if I met a lot of the players, there would be a lot of awkward silences because I wouldn't know how to talk to them because I'm just not on that. I just not in that world at all. But I feel like Massimo, I could have a lovely, a lovely chat with over a, over a Wondrous Grounds coffee. Are you asking him out on a date? Is that what's happening right now? Moved on from Lorenzo. <laughs> Lorenzo, ain't, Lorenzo ain't getting my 3 a.m. text yeah. this year. <laughs> Lorenzo, <laughs> Lorenzo's blown out. <laughs> <laughs> so this was from uh, Wickwire. It's a question for the whole panel. 
I've never been called a panel. I like that. Thank you. So yeah. it's a panel. Well, we're on QI. I know. I know. What's the what's the loudest crowd reaction you can remember at the grounds? Ooh, when that guy had his beer knocked over and then drank it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's still one of my favorite. All my moments, man. You're like, what? you could see that from the top of the section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were like, right, we, we were, we were right there, man. It was near you, wasn't it? Yeah, um, that was a classic moment. Yeah, that was pretty. That was a roar. That was a roar. <laughs> one of the goals, like the the was it the Ford's goal when everybody went absolutely ballistic when we scored in like the last uh, Nimic penalty. Oh, yeah. Nimic penalty. Yeah, yeah, that was that would be the one for sure. I mean. yeah. Pereira yeah. goal in season one against Ford, yep. which was pretty loud as well. Yeah, um, what meant against Montreal. Mm, the reason why yeah. is because it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I remember that's, it that's, almost being like, that's a good one because Montreal were finally getting a bit of a run of play, mm. and of course we're all in the crowd like, oh, here we go, Montreal's going to score. I think score getting you know like this is what we expected about with an MLS team, and I, I remember there was a bit of bit of a bit of scrappy play in the midfield, and Corey was tucked in way more than normal. And when he, where he got the ball, it was almost like he only knew one thing and one thing. And it was like watching, and I think I've even said this to you, Anthony, CBU, Corey Bent, confidence and the ability that he had when he was in college. And for him to do that against Montreal at the grounds, that to me, it might not have been the loudest reaction, but contrast wise from how the, the, the crowd was kind of getting a little bit anxious to, holy shit, we have a lead. Yeah, like that. That one always stands out for me. It was a different noise. It was, it was a, bu- a bubble popping, a, a bubble bursting, which was mm. in a good way. The do you remember the game against New York? I think it was the two-two game when it was like absolutely pissing down with rain and Morelli equalized. That was that was pretty loud too because it was just like made the whole day fucking worth it, like getting the flu and all that kind of stuff. Mm. What it, about the other way? Not to not to extend things a little bit further. The loudest jeer, the loudest boo. Would that have been the Jordan Jordan Muriel when he kicked the table? <laughs> I I think it was a, I I honestly think it was a it was a Dan Luke that looked in the playoff yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I tried to forget about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not too sure who this is aimed at. Is, is it, did you say this guy is a garden gnome comment to Bobby Smirnyovitz? Oh. His greatest ever insult. I wish that was me. That was Chris all the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fucking funny we're listening back to that <laughs> long story short because you know me anthony i could do a long story i remember when we were playing forge every time something happened bobby was up off his ass yelling at the refs talking to the fourth official yelling at our players yelling at his players it was just a non-stop litany of just him being a bitch for lack of better terms and i remember his player dove and there was no call and something happened in the midfield. It, it might've actually been Lorenzo on topic. And then, you know, he took the tackle foul call. Well, Bobby jumped up screaming, yelling, throwing stuff everywhere. Da, 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 da. His assistant like tried to get him to sit down and stuff. And my inner spirit just jumped out of my body and just decided to scream at him. Sit down, you garden gnome. <laughs> Go back to Middle Earth, you <laughs> just was running off all these jokes and stuff, and 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 it just came from from like I said, my my inner soul jumped out. I can't take full credit though. It's been great sharing the Wanderers experience with my girlfriend Kayla, and she always used to joke that the the set of CPL coaches would make a really good garden gnome set. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I can totally see that too. Yeah. yeah. Bobby would yeah. be the grand wizard with the beard. And yeah. then you've got Tommy kind of like the skinny one in the back with his arms crossed. Then you've got Patrice. Then you've got Carlos Gonzalez. You could even get Martin Nash in there as like the lanky one. There were so many like funny. We've got friends like James Jansen, for example, who's incredible at caricatures, for example. And I was just running all these ideas through my head. And I was like, man, what a great idea that would be. But for some reason, it came out in chant form. And <laughs> at halftime, my brother was scrolling Reddit. And they were there was a bunch of people in the match thread that were like, did anybody hear that fan called Bobby Garden Gnome? Definitely a fun memory from this season, for sure. I love it. This one's from Martin Bellman from the coast. He's from the coast, right? Yeah, yeah. And he has a book. He's out, he has a book out soon. He's a friend of the pod, so we should promote his book. Hell of a yeah, ride. Cool. You can pre-order it now. Yeah, it's out March the 15th, so you know. Which one of you is getting dental surgery before this episode to start a new down-the-pub tradition? Fuck you, Martin. <laughs> Fuck you. This, this is not funny. It's horrible. It's an affliction. I have to go get them tightened on Thursday. You sound good, though. You sound good. I, I do not sound good. Anyway, this... <laughs> do Never, 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 never read the, the coast or anything to do with it. It's an awful, awful... <laughs> Outlet. And so this one's from Halifax Dave. We had a couple, but I think we've answered most of them, to be honest. But there is one for Chris. Why are you so angry on Twitter and do you need a hug? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Long story short, again, I hate trolls. There's nothing more cowardly than sitting behind a cartoon character account with a random first name and nine numbers after it. And you just talk, 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 talk. So I like to be the human reaction to trolls at times. And there are times where I take it a little bit too far, but I have recently promised my mother that I would tone it down a bit and grow up and stop being an asshole online. So <laughs> the timing of the question was funny because like I even sat down to myself. I was like, all right, Chris, a bit nicer and more presentable on the internet. When these people make you mad, bite your I'll, tongue. I'll, 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 I'll give it a, I'll give it a month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you did, have, you did have one little tip in here, I guess, Gary, you could answer. What type of players are you expecting us to see in the next couple of rounds of announcements compete with talent with other teams are loading up? So what type of players do you think we're going to be signing? Experience, like we talked about earlier. Experienced attackers, because that's where the need is. Yeah. Give you a really short answer to that. Perfect. And then last one from Jerry uh, underscore... Should we start planning the parade route now or wait until the rest of our signings have been announced? Lock it in, mate. Lock it in. Plan yeah, it. Yeah. We should get, we should all, the, if we ever win the league, the players should go around on the harbour hopper. They should do the parade in the harbour <laughs> hopper. Can you, can you imagine, like, imagine Lorenzo necking a bottle of champagne for a medal around his neck on the harbour <laughs> hopper at 1pm in the afternoon. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. It'll break, it'll break down on the way up Citadel Hill. <laughs> That's a great question. Honestly, though, I'll ask you guys mine as well. And I mean, I know you guys will be doing your season previews and stuff here in the coming weeks once the roster gets fulfilled. But like, if from a from a standpoint of expectation, mine has always been 2025 legitimate title contenders. But after last year, obviously, I kind of feel like I'm on the seesaw between do I want to bring that forward a year and, and, and make that X month or is it like a playoff win this year? What's like the minimum for you guys, personally speaking? Well, I, uh, 
I, I I think it's like stepping stone. So I'd like to see like a make the playoffs and win a game. You know, I'm sure Trees and, and and Jordan and stuff like that will say they want to win either the league or the shield and have a, a crack at the Concacaf next year. But I think we all have to be slightly realistic just to you know we're only coming into the second season of the new management. So yeah, I think a playoff win would be fantastic. I think there's actually like an interesting point wrapped up in that as well about the fact that one of the biggest challenges next season will be managing expectations, which wasn't something they had to worry about last year because the bar was obviously quite low. But now we we like ourselves as a club. We like the players we have. We think we're a good team. So the fans expect something now and managing those expectations will be a challenge in terms of what an achievement is. I I would just like to see us become over the next three or four years one of those perennial playoff teams where like yeah. you kind of know next season Forge and Cavalry and will be in the playoffs at the end of the season. So even if we're not winning things, I think just becoming one of those teams who you feel a degree of comfort around making the playoffs is good enough. Like it's a very competitive league. Everyone's improving. So I think every season, as long as you make the playoffs, I consider that a successful year. Last year, finishing joint second was an extraordinary achievement, but just making the playoffs would have been enough, and I think it will be enough next season as well. Yeah, how are you, Chris? Yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm kind of in between. Again, like I said, mine mine was 2025 to be a genuine contender. Like you look at a team making it to the championship type stuff, and with the two trophies available now, you know you can be ambitious and say one of the two. But I'm I'm kind of in between, like Gary said, making the playoffs again, hosting a playoff game again. But I, I how it ended last year, you know, I, I you think of poor Zach on the ground, make, you know, thinks I think the world of this young man, and then you know he thought that that was all on him, and and we all know it wasn't on him. I want to see that redemption too, so I want to see that playoff win, and it would be so sweet if it was at the grounds. So it's it's been great hanging out and chatting some football. Before we go, I just wanted to let people know that on Saturday, March the 2nd, Suburban is having their new Canadian soccer night. It's free to play. It's uh, between 4 and 5 o'clock at the BMO Soccer Centre. Basically, you get a chance to meet new, other new Canadians and kick a ball about. As we all know, football is a universal language, so it's a great way to meet people. I found it difficult when I moved here to try and find uh, the, the soccer community. So it's, this would be a really good way for you to to get to get to meet some other football uh, fans. You'll also have to get a chance with the meet and greet with the suburban FC players, coaches, and staff. I wouldn't recommend talking to Oli. He always is an arsehole. There's snacks and refreshments there provided, and there's no registration required, and it's free to attend. So if you know any new Canadians, or if you're a new Canadian yourself, it's definitely be worth your while to go check it out. It's, uh, it's only for an hour, and you have to play some football. So, lads, it's been amazing. Oh, cheers, Boys. mate. Loved it. Yeah, this was this was a blast, Anthony. You know, you've 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 always sparked my my love for this game, this podcasting thing. And you know, I've been away from it for a while. I've, I've made a couple appearances on people's shows, but I haven't been doing it full time myself. So anytime that I get a call to come on a show, I get excited. But this was this one meant a lot more to me just because it's the roots and seeing how far you've taken this and how Gary has been just an unbelievably perfect wingman for you. 
I'm proud of you, brother. Keep it going. Five, six, 10, 20 more years. Maybe the boys will be co-hosting with you when you get older. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm hearing is Chris Sell, future revolving guest on the show throughout the season. That's what yeah. I'm hearing there. Yeah, well, Do it, mate. Do it. If, 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 if the invitation is open, count me in whenever. Get out! Out to fuck,